knock knock it's the timeline scavengers uh the podcast who's there (laughs) okay here we go knock knock who's there timeline scavengers timeline scavengers who timeline scavengers the podcast specifically designed (laughs) to last forever i'm colin parker i'm rolling in the aisles and james anderson (laughs) this on on this show not only do we tell top of the line cutting edge jokes like that one but we also (laughs) go through the marvel cinematic universe in historical order scene by scene until the end of time and sometimes you end up in situations where time seems like it's going to end faster and i know that sounds very like vague or like very like what the hell are you talking about but sometimes you get into situations where you see some scenes where you're like oh Shit got real bad, and the world almost came to a stop, right? We're in 2020, and we're going to and, be talking... <laughs> okay, the funny thing is you say that, but like I do have some information about 2020 oh, for sure. in this yeah. episode. Uh, so <laughs> this episode takes place in 1918. Uh, it's from Cloak and Dagger, Season 1, Episode 10. We've talked about it a few times. This is the last um, scene, essentially, of this nature. Um yep from from this episode uh and this whole episode has been uh, essentially about what they call the divine pairing and we've we've touched on it a little bit um and it starts at 24 minutes and 30 seconds and goes to 25 minutes 44 seconds um so in this scene uh we are in 1918 which was uh if you're not familiar with the time period that was the time period in which uh h1n1 the spanish influenza uh, hit the world and specifically hit America and New Orleans very hard. Right. Um, and uh, we'll get into the history of that in a moment, but uh, let me just kind of walk you through the scene. Uh, it's 1918. Thousands of people are dying at this moment uh, from an outbreak of the Spanish flu. And this is when we meet the first of our two uh, divine pairing, uh, Bobo Smith, who has been afflicted with the illness. Uh, and then his lover, who is a doctor named Jack Rogers. Uh, Jack Rogers realizes that he is uh, essentially like immune to the whole situation. And he, he also has a, a type of blood that is, uh, uh, I forgot what, what type of blood that is. Is that like O positive maybe? That, that That's like the universal donor? I think. They didn't think say so. it specifically out loud, but they, they, they realize that he is a you know, universal donor essentially. Essentially. And so what he does is is he begins to uh, perform. O negative. O negative. Sorry, okay. Typo negative. Uh, he performs a blood transfusion, uh, specifically to save uh, his lover, the quote unquote world famous clarinetist Bobo Smith. I say quote unquote because I thought maybe this this was an actual person. It was not. Uh, so, <laughs> fooled you again. <laughs> yeah, fooled me again. Fooled me four times. Marvel, shame on me. Um, no, but again, like it's that, it's that thing of uh, it's historical fiction. It is taking some real life things and then just sort of slightly bending the truth for, uh, for, for entertainment purposes. Um, so he, he performs a blood transfusion, uh, using his blood to save Smith, uh, but realizes, you know, kind of the call of and duty of a doctor to continue to save. So he continues to use his blood and blood transfusions to save 11 other, uh, patients, um, this ends up leading to the end of the plague because essentially he successfully gets enough people healthy and starts sort of, you know, keeping it from spreading. Uh, however, the main reason, quote unquote, that this happens 
again, I want to talk about it's historical fiction, right? The real yeah. reason historically that it happens is just that like the flu is not a long-term right. illness. So eventually it does run its course. Uh, but for them, uh, because it's a divine pairing, he pushes his body to the brink and he he dies from exhaustion and uh, essentially not having enough blood. Right. Um, in his body, and because he dies and he sacrifices himself to save so many people, uh, this quote unquote plague. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if it it's really considered a plague. I mean, it's certainly a a, a pandemic. Right. Uh, I feel like plague is not the right term for that, but um, the pandemic uh, comes to an end in New Orleans uh, because of his sacrifice. Yes, James. Um, I feel like you have a question. I well, I I have a question about the um. Uh, actually, a plague. It looks like a plague is bacterial, and and the flu is viral, so it is not a plague. Yeah. Um. So uh, I got the impression that he gave um, Bobo Johnson his blood. Bobo Johnson got better, and then miraculously, everyone else in the room got better. He like he gave his blood only one time, and he's like, see, and it said like, um, I I okay. Here's the thing, I. It doesn't. It doesn't say directly that he gives his blood to other people, but right. I was. I was sort of led to. I was sort of assuming that just because he gave it to Bobo, that he potentially gave it to other people. Because to me, just giving blood to just one person isn't right. really enough. Because he didn't. No, he certainly not. didn't. That's why it's he a certainly miracle. didn't. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess, but I mean, he certainly also didn't remove essentially all of his blood and give it to 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 bobo you know what i mean what well, I, I don't um, did he die of, of 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 blood loss or did he die of spanish flu no he so uh uh both so i i i looked that up just to sort of clarify that right and on the on the 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 wiki for this right essentially what they have it down as is he performed numerous trans uh blood trans transfusions i don't know why i can't say that word he performed numerous blood transfusions to cure other people, including Bubba Smith. However, this depleted him of his blood and eventually caused him to die of exhaustion after having saved several patients. Um, hmm. Which means that they kind of got the same sort of thing uh, from it that I did. I, I mean, because my my assumption was from watching it, because it's not super clear, you know, necessarily, because they don't show can, all of it. You can, know I, I mean? can we... Um... Um, give, give me a second. I want there was a particular line that she said. Experts say this blood donation, this passive immunization, is what saved his lover, and so then he collapses. It's not funny, but it's kind of funny to hear the. <laughs> but that doesn't explain the two dozen other patients in that church who up and walked out healthy as oxen the day Jack died. So I, I get what you're saying that Bobo Smith wasn't the first person that he treated. Right. And so, and I mean, so, okay, yeah. That's... But, but I think there's definitely an indication of a miraculous event because I think that those two dozen people, it wasn't like they were all waiting for the for Bobo Smith to get up and walk out before they got up and walked out. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, my thing is, okay, so I, I'm not trying to necessarily slam this show, right? I don't think that this particular scene is written super well uh, because, for example, I, I, I watched it like three times in a row to try to understand what was happening there right right because it was like it was kind of vague and like i i do remember part of what you were saying right which was uh the line of like that doesn't explain this but i was like but i mean he was treating them so like it does explain you know i i think that it is this thing of like they want to sort of do like a actual like 
here's a medical reason, but also we need to be vague so that it's like divine. You know what I mean? Because he's a doctor, they they were trying to make it like, you know, the, the idea of giving him a blood transfusion. Because, like, what was he going to do? Go walk into the river like the first group? Or right. he was just going to go get himself shot and, like, that would miraculously – no. So they were like, okay, he's a doctor, so, like, let's do this thing where, like, he'll do this whole blood transfusion thing. And he's taking care of other people. So he's, like, sacrificing his life to protect the people around him, but also specifically the person that he's – meant to care for you know what i mean and like he has he has track marks on his arm so mm. it looks like he i mean he's he's done the hypodermic needle on his arm before right so we're i guess we can assume that it says to that he did all he could to stem the tide um which that see and see like to me like that is kind of what that meant was like right. he's giving his blood freely to other people uh, and then he, I mean, again, I'm I'm gonna end up laughing now. Like I know it's not funny that the man just collapses, right. but like right. he does straight but up. He's like, all right, a fudda dud is is always kind of funny. It's yeah. like you know, wiping the brow like a job's like a day's job well done. Bam, you know, right. like he just like he just hits the ground. You're like, okay, right. uh, the, so um, yeah. So I I think that like just as the the duel ending the storm. Yeah, like there's no real scientific reason. It's not like the bullet. And no, I think that's fair. Cloud. I think that's fair as well. But I'm just saying, like, there's a difference between to me, right? In that scene where, like, they're like, okay, there's only two people involved, and one of them is sacrificing because they do know that someone has to die, right? For some right. reason, even though that technically neither of them really did do to. Uh, it's again, they're doing this whole divine pairing, but like, there was no other way necessarily for this doctor to just like sacrifice himself. You know what I mean? Right. Other than I'm gonna give my blood, uh, and and time. Sorry, because he was he was actively spending all of his right. time around these sick people, exhausted. which also could have yeah. done it. But the thing is, like that wouldn't have, wouldn't have been immediate enough, I think. Yeah. Because like hypothetically, if he did everything he could to save them, but then he got sick and no one could heal him, and then he died, that would take days. You know what I mean? For for that sort of yeah. thing to like so take him over. He died of he died of the flu. Right. He died of exhaustion and like exhaustion essentially like, blood and, yeah. loss. Cause I just I just want I just want to make it clear that 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 for for how I interpreted it, those two dozen other people at afterwards mm -hmm. were suffering, and then he gave Bobo Smith, yeah, Bobo Smith, his um his blood, and then Bobo Smith got better, and everyone else immediately also got better. Now that's not how immunization works either, right? Like you don't Correct. immediately like. And the it's other thing is, the, here's the other funny thing is that like they say, and it, and it ended the the pandemic essentially in all of New Orleans, but like that certainly also doesn't happen like that either. You know what I mean? Uh, which again, I guess is kind of how the storm worked with the with the duel, right? But like, right. okay, let's let's actually talk about this yeah, yeah, yeah. disease. Yeah, yeah, about that. I just that's no, no, you're fine. Like it, I get it. Like I feel like out of all of them, this one was kind of the weirdest one to like take hold of because my whole mm -hmm. thing is like with the storm one, at, because there is no way to explain that, right? Like yeah. at all, like it's, yeah. it's like, sure. One of them gets shot and killed and the storm ends. You're like, cool. But like with this one, you're like, okay, well they're actually doing like medical treatment. So right. was it that he treated them, but like because of his treatment, he dies and that that's that, or is it that legitimately, like you said, he saves one person and he, he dies. And then suddenly everyone's like, Oh, that also helped us. You know, it's very, it's a very peculiar scene. Um, yeah. But the Spanish flu which I, I don't know. I feel kind of weird about calling it that. I really wish there was a. It's definitely a racist term for sure. Right, because it's like you know we don't call. Okay, I want to. I'm going to say a quote that is not mine. I'm just you know stating yeah. that 
we had a former president who liked to call COVID uh, the Chinese flu, right? right. Uh, and stuff like that. And like was being very, I mean, very cruel about it. I mean, like it was obviously sure. not done to be like, well, it comes from China. So like, let's just call it where it comes from. No, that was very right. clearly like a, I'm consciously trying to stoke some some hate and stuff like that. But right. um, I'm just going to call it H1N1. I know I it's not necessarily as fast. Uh, but like to me, like that's the equivalent of COVID-19, right? Yep. So you got COVID-19, H1N1. Sure. Uh, so H1N1 hit New Orleans extremely diff- uh, like hard. Um, I mean, it hit a lot of places very hard, but it moved fucking fast here. Hey, everybody, it's me, Colin Parker, your pod boss, your... Oh, no, wait, that's a different show. That's Mid-Takes. I'm here uh, from your past, but the future of the past, Colin and James, time is weird, I know, to discuss a content warning. At this point in the episode, we've already discussed the MCU scene and the relevancy to the rest of the MCU from that one in particular scene. But something else that we like to do is we like to talk about history. We like to talk about the history of Marvel Comics, but also the real world, how the real world is reflected within the MCU and the comics and vice versa. So we are going to discuss for a bit here H1N1, the pandemic that hit in 1918. Now, you might say, okay, I don't really see why you need to have a content warning for that. I mean, some people are squeamish about things like that, but still, it's, you know, something that I think you can kind of see coming from a mile away. What you also probably can see coming from a mile away, though, is the fact that we are going to compare it to COVID-19. We're going to discuss the history of the H1N1 pandemic and how uh, Louisiana, and in particular how New Orleans, try to put a curb on this uh, terrible, you know, situation and how they reacted to it, um, what they did, basically. And then we're going to compare it to how the United States of America decided to um, react to COVID-19, which is very different. And you would think that we learned a lesson, uh, but in fact, we, uh, well, we got worse. Anyway, listen, that's why the content warning is here. We understand that it's extremely fresh. It's still happening at the time of this recording. So if you're like, hey, man, I listen to your podcast and watch other forms of popular media in order to escape the real world for a bit and not have to think about COVID-19, I totally get it. We'll see you next week. There's no harm in skipping the rest of this episode. But if you want to find out more about these topics and just sort of see the comparison and everything like that, Feel free to stick around, and we hope that you enjoy the rest of the episode. I'm not going to read the entire article, but um, I am going to read uh, the Influenza Encyclopedia. Okay. Uh, it's produced by the University of Michigan Center for the History of Medicine and Michigan Publishing University of Michigan Library. Um, mm. This is about the American influenza epidemic of 1918 through 1919. And this is specifically to New Orleans. Essentially, what they do is they right. have 50 U.S. cities uh, and their stories throughout this, uh, the, the 50 biggest, like hardest hit uh, right. cities. Right. Um, <clears throat> 
So on September 16th, an oil tanker arrived at the port in New Orleans. And on board of this ship was five crew members that were ill with the influenza. Another crew member, the ship's radio operator, was said to have died of pneumonia while at sea. Uh, but obviously, because uh, at the time, that's what it looked like. But he died because of this flu, this same mm-hmm. flu. Uh, and they, they were not connecting them because they didn't think that this was... Uh, so obviously, they knew this was the flu, but they didn't think it was worse than it was. Right. Sorry, no, a- as bad as it was, right? They, they didn't realize how, how, how uh, intense this strain was. Right. Uh, so city health inspectors visited the ship and then upon discovering the ill men, immediately quarantined uh, that vessel in the river across from the immigration station. The Board of Health was uh, sorry, then barred the ship from setting sail or coming to port until all the cases were cured. Two days later, influence aboard the ship had spread to more members of the crew. Essentially, they realized that this was becoming an issue, so they removed those men from the tanker and brought them to the Belvedere Hospital. Um, and the ship was then allowed to travel upriver to nearby Destrahan to unload its oil. Uh, the issue is, is that because they've now unloaded those people, the influenza has now officially hit New Orleans. Right. Um, I do want to take a brief moment to step away from that article to point out that on, hang on, what day was it? Um, okay, on September 16th, the same day that that ship came to to land, Yeah. right, earlier that morning, they had published in the local newspaper, uh, 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 on the New Orleans States uh, is the name of the uh, the paper. Sorry, I couldn't, couldn't think of yep. the word for a second there. They published a three-paragraph story headlined, No Danger of Spanish Influenza Epidemic Here. Oof, you hate to see it. <laughs> the headline would prove to be unbelievably wrong. It's like, you know, it's Dewey that thing of, Truman. They, yeah, they they called their shot, basically. They, they tried Oof. to Babe Ruth it, and they were like, pointing... Right, like here Sir, we go, gonna knock this game. one out of the park, and then they just swung and a miss, uh, <laughs> or they they hit it and immediately someone caught it was like, "Ooh, you out, son." Um, <laughs> so uh, basically, what happened was like so this was that was uh, September eighteenth is when they removed them from the ship. Right, right. the next day, September nineteenth, the United Fruit Company cargo ship Metafan arrived in New Orleans laden with bananas from Panama. On board was. 86 uh, crew, 50 civilians, and 50 soldiers, 11 of whom also had contracted the flu. The ill soldiers were removed to a post hospital at Jackson Barracks uh, in the Lower Ninth Ward. Um, it continued to get worse. as So they, they first they quarantined that ship as well. Um, they took throat cultures. Uh, they were testing for all sorts of things. They said that they could unload the cargo as long as all that were aboard remained on the ship. Um, They were quickly uh, drafting a new uh, sanitary code for Louisiana, Mm -hmm. basically mandating that physicians report cases of influenza to their local health boards as a wartime exigency. Mm. So, like, we're treating this as if, like, we're at war. I mean, like, again, and it's interesting that this was a much faster... Uh, reaction than the United States had about a hundred years later, which we'll get yeah. to. Um, on September 29th, the New Orleans newspapers all reported that the city's first local influenza death. Uh, anticipating an epidemic, 
the nursing division of the New Orleans chapter of the American Red Cross Nursing Division began planning ways to meet the threat. Uh, they essentially trained 75 nurses uh, for mobilizing uh, like nursing units, uh, and they organized a bunch of volunteers, and the influenza continued to mount. Mm. Uh, on October 2nd, a steamer uh, with 56 infected men arrived at the naval station uh, in the Algiers uh, section of New Orleans. The sick men were sent to an isolated building at the Belvedere Sanitarium. Uh, the naval station had already had over 150 cases and could not treat any more. Um, and so these numbers continued to, to grow, right? So you have another section that had 32 sick cadets. Uh, then there's another section of the city that had uh, uh, eight more and then 17 more. So, like, you know, again, it's kind of smaller numbers, but it's enough that, like, they start to add up, right? Sure. Absolutely. By the end of the first week of October, it was clear that New Orleans' influenza situation was growing rapidly out of hand. Due to a lax comp uh, compliance with the state order to report cases, local officials could not be sure just how many cases that there were. Uh, that's, uh, in this, uh, uh, eventually, they, they got to a point where they believed that they were currently at 7,000 active cases in New Orleans and decided that, okay, yep, for sure, we have to take action. Um, so they, they started uh, implementing a bunch of new things. They closed all the schools, churches, theaters, movie houses, and other places of amusement, and prohibited public gatherings such as sporting events and public funerals and weddings. Saloons, soda and ice cream parlors, restaurants were allowed to continue operating uh, under limited um, like hours and stuff like that. Right. Which, hmm, interesting, yeah. sounds very familiar. Um, <laughs> there were supposed to be extra trips on the streetcars, to keep them from being crowded. So they would only take a right. certain number of people uh, right. and they would just run them much, much more. Um, so essentially, I mean, it just continues to expound and just sort of uh, kind of get crazy. Eventually they, there was a conversion of a uh, Shakespeare house, like a, like a, like a kind of like a theater, but like it's, like a theater, yeah. but it's specifically like Shakespeare, um, like, like Shakespeare in the park type thing, not in yeah, the yeah. park, but you got what I'm saying, like globe theater kind of thing. Like a globe um, theater, but for New Orleans. Yeah. And they converted that to a 300 bed emergency hospital. Uh, and like 300 again, sounds like a lot when you've got over 7,000, that is a dent, you know? Yeah. Um, so it just continues uh. to, to get worse and worse and worse. Um, on the day of October 20th. So we're now two weeks later, over 2000 new cases were reported in one day. Oof. So, you know, these numbers are, again, just skyrocketing. At one point, we had 7,000 active, but it was, like, spread out. Like, it was, like, you know, a full week's worth of people. You know what I mean? Right. Now, right. in one day, we have, like, a third of that kind of thing, you know? Um, wow. Okay, so, eventually, um, I'm skipping a few paragraphs here because some of it is just, like, again, it's just more stats and stuff like that. And I don't want to read the whole thing for you. Right, um, right. But we begin to get on the mend about nine-ish days later. Um, eventually, the number went down from 2,000 uh, new cases in a day to uh, 1,592 in a day. Uh, and then eventually, we were down to 1,474 cases. And then by the 29th, we were down to less than 1,000 uh, reported that day. Uh they began to discuss the possibilities of reopening churches uh, and stuff like that. They essentially decided that November was going to still be a time of rebuilding. Uh, and so effective December 1st, all places um, were going to be able to open up. 
uh, to its full. Okay. Um, let's see. Hang on. I'm going to skip some of this stuff. There's just some stuff about the backdrop. There's some stuff about the the, the military. Um, right. And not even necessarily about like deaths, just about like how they handle the cases. Right. Um, but let me get to the final bit of information here. Um, basically, there was a bunch of cooperation between a bunch of different groups that like helped keep the state uh, and specifically New Orleans because they got hit the worst. Uh, afloat and moving and you know basically doing a bunch of deliveries of food of medications uh so any other kind of services that might need to be to be given like if someone was too sick to do laundry there are people right. who would do that sort of thing um the new orleans epidemic was a devastating one between october 1918 and april 1919 the city experienced 54,089 cases of influenza wow. of these 3,489 died, which is a case okay. fatality rate of 6.5%, uh, okay. and an excess death rate of 734 per 100,000 people, um, which is, uh, there are only two cities in the United States that had worse rates than that. Um, the next highest was Philadelphia with 748 per 100,000 people, and right. Pittsburgh with 806 per 100,000. So New Orleans okay. was the third worst hit city uh in in america so like mm. the the epidemic hit here i mean it, it hit fast and part of it is because it's a port city right uh because you have all these people yeah. traveling and stuff like that and then they're also in enclosed spaces then you're pulling them out i mean it just it spread like wildfire so um, sorry did you say it was the third or it was the first i couldn't the, I, the third worst the third okay so yeah the pennsylvanias and then and right. then yep. got it okay yep. yeah yeah um okay so there's obviously some, uh, oh gosh, I don't know what the word for this is. Um, well, let's just say a parallel, right? Uh -huh. Between <laughs> 1918 and, ooh, I don't know, 2020, uh, COVID-19. You ever heard of it? Uh, so <laughs> there you go. Every now and then I try and throw that same joke out to James just to give him a little throwback and also just to make him laugh. Um, so New Orleans is, you know, uh, not, not necessarily huge. Right. Um, right. But I want to I want to point out that in my area that I live in, right, Jefferson Parish is the biggest uh, like so they don't have counties. They have parishes. Right. Oh, OK. Um, so Jefferson Parish, which is not far from here, uh, is like the biggest really of the of the area. They had forty seven thousand cases uh, of of covid. And 908 deaths. Yeah. Uh, which is, interestingly enough, not necessarily as many... Hang on, I need to remind myself of what that last number was. Uh, not as many cases as the influenza, but more deaths. Right. So, obviously, a much more heavy one. Uh, but when you look at Louisiana as a whole, uh, Louisiana for... Um, Co no, no, hang on a second. When when COVID started happening, I pictured mm -hmm. some old New Orleans like health official just pulling out the 1918 protocol and being like, "Yeah, all right, here we yeah. go." Does <laughs> all right, does, street like trolleys. Dog. Yeah, and they go, <clears throat> uh, "Milkmen should not." Oh no, hang on now. Hold <laughs> like, on, hold on. on. Skip it. Skip yeah. it. Skip it. Skip. 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 Um, okay, so uh, with the 1918 influenza pandemic in Louisiana. Yep. There were 5,500 deaths total, um, which was a mortality rate of 
0.8%. Okay. Right? Uh, with New Orleans as a whole uh, for uh, COVID, <laughs> uh, yeah, we are currently at 10,723. Okay. Uh, with uh, 480 cases. Nope, sorry, not 480. Sorry, 480,000 cases. Right. <laughs> um, well, that's actually pretty good. I was like, that that doesn't sound right. <laughs> um, now, I will say, it does sometimes seem like when I look at like the total deaths, Louisiana doesn't seem to be quite as bad right. as some other states. And part of that, I think, where we do kind of like kind of luck out from is that Louisiana, in some cases, is very spread out. Right. You know, not everything is quite as tight knit. Uh, of a city as New Orleans is, right. Um, so I think that's sort of where we where we kind of gain some uh, some numbers back or whatever, right? Sure. Um, sure. Jefferson Parish, like I said, is the, is the biggest area that had forty eight. I'm, I'm just rounding up a little bit. Forty eight thousand cases. Um, East Baton Rouge uh, actually has uh, is the second highest. Um, again, rounding up, b- but barely forty one thousand um, with eight hundred thirty six deaths, and. Uh, New Orleans, the Orleans Parish, uh, has uh, thirty thousand, uh, sorry, thirty-one thousand uh, cases with eight hundred and five deaths. So mm. ten thousand less cases than East Baton Rouge, uh, but only thirty-one less deaths than than that area. So a little okay. bit more like fatality rate, uh, a little bit mm-hmm. higher here. Um, yeah. But the big thing is like what we were somewhat lucky on, I think, for New Orleans is that like New Orleans, like their main thing is tourism. Right. And when tourism and everything like that is shut down, I mean, that is also an issue because it obviously is going to hit the economy here very hard. Sure. I mean, it, it already has, but I mean, like, I think it's going to be a while before this city bounces back from that. Um, right. But because of that, people weren't really traveling in. Most of the, the colleges were shut down. People were like sent back home. Yeah. You know, it's so, like there was like all the college kids were gone. Tourists weren't traveling here. Things weren't even open. You know, so it's like, you know, you that that probably is what sort of helped keep some of those numbers down. Because New Orleans wasn't necessarily exactly like I mean, I'm sure there was some tourism back in 1918, but not sure. like it is today. You know, right. Right. Uh, so so that that was sort of beneficial. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, like still a like not quite as many um, deaths, right? Per oh no no I'm sorry I'm I'm completely wrong. Um, for the whole state, no, sorry, no, for for the area, sorry, there was there were more cases but fewer deaths than the influenza, and part of that I right. am hoping is that like even though it's extremely deadly, we are somewhat better medically. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you know? it should be it should be even lower because it's been a hundred years. Right. Right. So I mean, we we had yeah. way more cases but fewer deaths. Um, right. Even though I do think that this is deadlier than H1N1. Um, yeah. Because it lasts much longer for sure. H1N1 um, is the um. 1918. We, this, but the um, have, wasn't H1N1 the the swine flu? Uh, I th- wait, I don't remember which one's which. Or the bird flu? I think it's bird. swine flu. It's yeah, H1N1 is is swine flu. Um, oh no, yeah, you're not, sorry, you're right. It, there was a 2009 pandemic, so they when when COVID was first getting going, they compared uh, COVID and swine flu and um another recent one. Maybe just like the flu, I don't know, some other thing. And it was like, um, swine flu is uh, wide ranging, but not deadly. Mm -hmm. And then the other one they were comparing it to 
was not wine raging but very deadly mm-hmm. and covid was the COVID, worst of both yeah. worlds <laughs> yeah um and also i mean you know it's interesting like kind of like you said like there should be fewer you know deaths and stuff like that the issue is is that we had more cases and i think obviously way more deaths due to covid because a you know like you said it it, it spreads like crazy and it's extremely dangerous but also in 1918 it took them a, a minute to sort of like get some of their act together because I don't think they 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 couldn't understand how fast it was moving because you know right. harder to harder to track that sort of thing back then. Um, but once they figured it out, like they got it and people did the stuff. COVID people were really stubborn about not giving up on things and wanting to maintain right. things the same way, and it's like like. Look at how many deaths we had with this huge uh, pandemic back then that was not as deadly as this is. Um, right. But misinformation and, you know, stubbornness and like the uh, the thought process of, well, I'm fine. I'm invincible. I can't, you know, like exactly. that's what put a lot of people uh, in danger, you know. So, I mean, obviously we're not out on the other side of this pandemic that we're in currently. Right. Uh, if you're listening to this in like 2023, hopefully we are. Uh, right. But in 2021, we're still dealing with it. But like, you know, I've been vaccinated and I had for the first time in my life, uh, just the other day, I went back to the gym for the first time since the pandemic hit. And uh, I was not required to wear a mask since I was vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and there were other people there who were vaccinated who were not wearing masks. And I was, it was bizarre to be yep. in a public space without a mask. And it's like, it's only been a little over a year. Yep. And yet it was the most unsettling feeling I've had yep. in a long time. But also it felt good, but it was yep. very unsettling. Um, hey, just real quick. Um, yeah. H1N1 comes in three varieties or flavors, human, bird, and swine. So it's not like sure. we caught swine flu or we caught bird flu. It's right. different people, different animals get different kinds of h1n1 i just wanted to make clear because i was like oh it was the swine flu back then it wasn't it's just they're all h1n1 sure. sorry go they're ahead. all h1 n no <laughs> right. i like how you said that they all come in different flavors yeah like coke coke zero or and Diet coke, human or coke cherry coke vanilla coke there you go yeah um they're all coke but uh different types of fun i don't know uh <laughs> everyone I mean, knows birds love vanilla coke i mean can you blame them? It's damn good. Um, just be careful when you get into the worst of, of all of these worlds and you get cherry vanilla Coke. And then you're like, oh, my God, we can all get everything. Uh, okay. Uh, so this has been kind of a slightly de- – I mean, we've had some depressing stuff that we've had to talk about before. But, like, this one, because it also has a direct link to, like, mm-hmm. today. Uh, sure. I mean, and the other thing is, like, I, I won't get into it because, again, I don't want this to be, like, forever long. But, I mean, both – the current pandemic and uh, the um, H1N1 of 1918 uh, have crazy effects on other parts of the world uh, and like economics and um, all sorts of stuff that it continues to affect. I mean, right. COVID, we're still not even on the outside of it, so we won't know the long-term right. stuff of it just yet. But I mean, like we're slightly coming out of the other end of it right now. Like we're, we're not fully there, but like we can see yeah. the doorway kind of thing. But we can yeah. already tell that some of these long-term effects are, are there. Uh, but, I mean, like, the H1N1 uh, it still was around and, and afflicted uh, World War One, 
Yeah. Uh, it hit the economy of really the entire world. Um, and uh, I will say, you know, it didn't make things uh, immediate better right. for for women, right? Obviously, because women still have a lot of shit that they have to go through. Sure. Um, however, it did, uh, interestingly enough, because back then, like, nurses were, like, pretty much only women. Right. Um, nurses and, like, the because they essentially were what rose up to sort of save the day. Uh, there was a lot more uh, women in college um, and contributing to both the field of nursing, but also to other jobs as well as people were sick. Kind right. of like almost like wartime efforts, right? Um, yeah. And so women sort of did gain a little bit more respect within the workforce uh, and within just like in general, like the, right. the the community because of this event. Obviously, we still have a long way to go, but like, you know. Uh, no, I'm not saying that there's like, oh, but there was some good to come of this thing, you know, because that feels weird to say. But I mean, like at the sure. end of the day, like um, it shows, though, that sometimes when we go through hardship, uh, there are people who can rise up and we should appreciate them more. Yep. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge all of the essential workers that we still have not given pay raises to as they right. put their bodies on the line every day. Uh, yep. You know, maybe we could, I don't know, raise minimum wage or something. Uh, call me crazy, but, you know. I think someone who's getting paid, you know, $8 an hour uh, is grossly underpaid to be putting themselves in front of uh, a potential, you know, pandemic every single day of their life. But I'll get down off of my soapbox uh, now, and I will say maybe now's the time to do social media. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, we have a uh, Twitter handle for this podcast, Timeline Scavengers, which you can find at Timeline Scav. Uh, we are part of the Scavengers Network, which you can find on Twitter at ScavengersNet. You can find the website, scavengersnetwork.com, where you can listen to episodes of this show and any other show uh, on the network. For instance, um, you could listen to episodes of Alabaster's Haberdashery, which is a wild show, which we mentioned... Well, it's weird to do this show because we, I think we mentioned it last session, but it doesn't matter because who knows? Um, well, it was also, I think, for an episode that got backdated. Oh, right. Okay. So, right. So, this is um, a show that uh, is re- was recorded in, 18, in the 1880s mm-hmm. uh, from the future. Transmitted um, to the future, yeah. I'm not sure uh, when in the future uh, that uh, they, that PodCube is, is a thing. Do we know that? Uh, yeah, it's in 2000... 2000- Right, 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 right. That makes sense. And so then from PodCube, they, they send it back to us in present day right. in podcast format. Yeah, they send a bunch of USB drives to uh, mm-hmm. Jordan Reed and or Mason uh, Amadeus uh, right. and say, hey, uh, we need you to publish this so that it's in the in the timeline, essentially. Yep. And and um, they're they're nice little um they've 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 really gotten efficiency like figured out in the future. So they're nice little three minute episodes. Um, very digestible. You can you can listen to a bunch of them in a row. It's really great and a very entertaining show. Um, boy, was the 19th century wild. Yeah, it's it's funny to think about like how simple some of those problems seem now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but obviously back then they were like such a huge deal. So it's very, it's very exactly. interesting to sort of you know participate sure. and see Absolutely. history actively shaping the present from the future. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, if you wanted to find me on Twitter, you can go to unabashed James, uh, at unabashed James on Twitter. 
And uh, Colin, if they wanted to find you on Twitter, where would they where would they go for that? They would find me at Colin M. Parker. Uh, and also, uh, I, I I will say I tried to research something here to to tag at the end, and I cannot find anything um, that is current uh, for okay. you know for um, essentially like assistance and like uh, charities or like mm. fundraisers or campaigns or whatever for raising funds for essential workers. Um, but you know maybe maybe something nice to do is is uh, the next time you go out to get food. Even if it's just carry out, you should be tipping, by the way. Um, but whether it's carry out or dine in, tip more than 20% the next time you go. Maybe the next two or three times you go. Because these people have done so much to get us through this pandemic. And I don't think that they've been thanked enough. Uh, and think about like how much like five extra dollars you know, would go yeah. for one person on a bill that was like maybe $10. You know what I mean? Right. That's like 50% tip. Seems small, but like if if everyone that listened to this show and beyond did that, I think essential workers would have just like just one nice day, you know? And I think they yep. deserve that. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, and I've just realized that James has changed his name to Clarinetist Bobo Anderson. Very good. Uh, I don't know how long that's been like that, but that's very Since funny. Since before we started recording. I, oh, my um, God. I was looking at my, my notes, so I guess I didn't see My sister's nickname for me in, when she was growing up was Bobo. Oh, my gosh. So. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Did you play clarinet? I did not. I oh. played the drum. If you played clarinet, that would have blown my mind. That's going to do it uh, for today's episode. Uh, we hope you'll join us very, very soon. Um, but for now, uh, we'll leave you. Uh, I have been and always will be, barring any big changes in my life, James Anderson. Uh, and I will be, well, at least for the foreseeable future. We'll, once we get past the foreseeable future, we'll check back in. Right. But at that point, uh, until that point, I am Colin Parker. Excelsior! James. What are you watching? Newsies. Oh, I love that movie. What minute are you on? What? What minute are you on? I think my favorite minute is probably minute 37. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just watching the movie. You know there's a way more intense way to watch Newsies. There is? Absolutely. Watch it minute by minute along with Newsies Minute. Oh, you mean the new podcast on the Scavengers Network. Yep. The one that we're the hosts of. Uh, well... Well, well, yeah. That sounds awesome. When do new episodes come out? Every weekday. Now that's good news. Newsies Minute. So come for Crutchy. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.